Welcome to Valley Lights Church Online. I've been a Santa Clarita resident for a little over a year now, and I've still never been to Six Flags. <laughs> There's a big amusement park here in town, and I haven't been there yet. I, I would love to. Uh, I'm a bit of a thrill seeker. A couple of years ago, we took our family to Knott's Berry Farm, which is another amusement park in Southern California. And back when we lived in Riverside, that was one of the closer theme parks. And so we, one day we all piled in the car. We had our kids with us and it was about an hour drive to get there. And, uh, you know, as the kids were pumped, they were excited about the rides we told them about. I was just glad to enjoy a day off, some time with family. And, you know, so we, we made the drive down and we're getting food right outside the park at a Del Taco. And as I'm paying, I'm like, you know what, I should keep my wallet out because I have to pay for parking in just a second and then I'll grab the tickets and then I realized I don't have the tickets to get into the park. They're at home on the fridge under a magnet and they were uh, pre-paid, pre-printed tickets and there was no option for doing anything digitally. You needed to have the actual paper in hand. And I was like, no. <laughs> oh man, it's amazing how quickly I can transform from feeling relaxed and breezy to just stressed and angry. It's like in a half a second. Well, I thought it took an hour to drive here. It's gonna take an hour to get back and then another hour to get back. So three hours of drive time, plus like about two hours it took just to get us out of the house in the first place. So this is quite a long day before we even step foot into the park. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? you know, I'm frustrated and so I'm snapping at the kids and grabbing french fries and, you know, making my wife upset. <laughs> and I'm thinking, are, are we just too far gone? Is this, is this just, you know, should we just cut our losses at this point? Should I give up? How far away would we have to be uh, at a breaking point where it would not be worth making the return trip? Well, we did end up doing it. So we, we went back, got the tickets, and came back to the park and we, we got it and we had a good day. But during that family adventure in the morning, I asked myself, are we, are we just too far gone? Maybe you've asked this question when something unexpected happens. You know, should, should we just give up now? Or maybe you've ever thought this about a person. Sometimes a relationship seems too far gone or a person has, they've just gone off and made such bad choices that they seem too far gone. So today we're going to look at a story in the Bible that I think addresses a similar topic. My name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor here at Valley Lights, and I'd love to get the chance to meet you. So leave your contact information. But we're in a series called Us for Them, and we're looking at different reasons to orient our lives so that we are helping other people find God, not just living for ourselves, but living for others. Back when Jesus lived and walked among us, he had some core followers, and so he had his 12 guys that spent a lot of time with him trying to learn from him as much as they could. And so we're going to look in the book of Matthew, which is a biography written about the life of Jesus. And in chapter 18, we see that the disciples, his core guys, they come to Jesus and they asked, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Seems like with the question like this, they're trying to rank each other, perhaps, or they're trying to categorize people. Who's the greatest? 
and they don't say this, but maybe who's the lowest? How do I not get in a low position? Where, where do I fit in on the spiritual scale? We can rank people too. Even at church, we can interact with a lot of people from very different backgrounds and stages in their spiritual journey or their walk with God. Um, many people are just uh, coming out from a lot of different life experiences. So, we may interact with people at church who have been walking, walking closely with God for many years and some people that are pretty inexperienced with it. So, without realizing it, we can mentally drop people into categories. We might see some people as more useful and helpful and other people as, well, just negligible, insignificant, particularly if someone stumbles or sins or if somebody does something that offends us or causes problems or frustrations, then, man, it can be really tempting to think, man, it, it, it'd be great if they became a good Christian spiritual person, but they, they're just too far gone. So knowing that this struggle to rank, you know, each other is, you know, possibly in the hearts of his followers, Jesus responds to this question. He says, one of the things that he says is, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Little ones is, you know, th those are people who believe in Jesus. And he's using this imagery of little ones based on some metaphors from earlier in the chapter. But essentially, he's talking about other brothers and sisters in the family of God. Essentially, he's saying, see that you do not despise one of your fellow Christians. Despise. Seems like a pretty strong word to use. At first, I was reading this, um, back when I first read this a while ago, I, I glossed over that word. Didn't even notice at first, but then I thought, why does, he, why does he use the word despise? I actually had to look up despise in the dictionary. And here's what it shows. Despise, it's uh, to lack respect for someone or to look down on others. It's a bit of a spectrum, so it gets more intense. It's, another option would be it's to regard others as negligible or worthless or even to feel repugnance or intense disgust. So as I was reading these definitions, I felt very strongly that God was saying to me, you do these things. And I thought, and, and this was this was back at a time when I was training for church ministry. <laughs> and just as quickly, some people came to mind, people that I've had these kinds of thoughts about. And I, I thought, oh, Lord, you're right. You're right. I have, I have done this, looked down or disregarded or had, had these feelings towards people. You know, I, I could maybe fool myself thinking that I'm above this, but Lord, I, I know I can't fool you. And so I confess that I've actually despised people, even fellow Christians, by entertaining these kinds of thoughts. And that's an, that's an ugly thing to admit. That is the human heart. I think this is perhaps a common struggle for many of us, which is why Jesus probably used such direct language to cut directly to our hearts, to the, the deep things that we deal with. There's a variety of ways that this attitude of despising others can get expressed from our hearts. It, it, it comes out when, for example, when, when we have a hard time looking someone right in the eye when we're talking with them because of our mixed feelings toward them. Or when we're smiling on the outside, but inside our emotions are churning. Or maybe there's certain people that we feel stiff around 
just uncomfortable when we're relating to them. Or after that person goes, we talk about it. We talk about them with somebody. We exchange some critical comments about them. Or we can watch a person receive something really good, like a privilege or an opportunity, and man, that doesn't sit well with me. Like, they shouldn't have got that. Or if something bad happens to them, well, they had that coming. There may be even be a trickle of gladness that we feel, like there's like a sense of justice in the world that they got what was coming to them. So those situations or those people are the ones that we mentally discount, or we write off and dismiss, and we see them as negligible. You would never actually say out loud that that person is worthless. But when we despise people, we live with a corrosive poison inside. It, eat, it eats away at us. It causes tension and stress. It's a poison that we can't escape because we interact with people all the time and we can't change anybody. We can't make choices for other people. And people are going to do what makes sense to them. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be relatives or coworkers. This is a tension that exists in many of us, and so Jesus used a short, memorable parable to teach us. A parable is a story, an illustration. So here, here's his parable. He says, what, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, and first of all, Jesus is drawing a parallel between the people of God and a flock of sheep. God, of course, is the shepherd, and we get to be the sheep. <laughs> and uh, it's a good illustration because sheep need shepherding because they're sheep. People need God's guidance as the shepherd because we're human beings. We need God's wisdom. We need his view on things. We need his protection as well. We need the sustenance that only he can provide. We're, really, we are designed to thrive under God's incredible guidance and oversight as our good shepherd. The other observation you can make about sheep is that they are prone to wander. It's really in the nature of sheep to be easily distracted, easily misled, or just to blindly follow another wandering sheep. So the people that we're quick to despise very often are people who have wandered astray. Because of this sin that lives in every one of us, we're prone to wander outside of God's protective instruction. We tend to be influenced by others that really are no more capable of guiding themselves. But because we're inclined to despise others, it's, it's really because, you know, because these people, they've sinned, they've stumbled, they've made bad, damaging choices. And it may be that the people that we know, are their, their bad choices are impacting us in some way through their sin or their personality and that's where the rub comes from. We, when people get off track in life, it usually affects the people around them in a negative way. So in spite of this, Jesus, he goes on to say, so what do, you, what do you think? If a man owns 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And actually, I have a picture of a shepherd here, an illustration of this passage. And um, you know, this verse, it shows God as the shepherd in pursuit of the wandering sheep. But the way that Jesus words it, it's almost like a no-brainer. Like, what do you think? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't the shepherd go get the lost sheep? And I, I've never been a shepherd, so I don't know exactly 
the emotional tie that I'd have to a lost sheep, you know, uh, exactly. But, you know, we, we can go along with this story in, in knowing, you know, it, it, it's almost as if he's saying, isn't it obvious that God would be in pursuit of his own sheep, of his own people? How could we think that he would do anything else? We write people off. We dismiss them. We count them as a negligible loss. We say, hey, they're, they're just too far gone. But not God. The God of the universe goes after them. And in verse 13, it says, and, and if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Here we see an incredible reflection of God's love for his children and the joy that he has for us. What a great comfort to know that if any of us stumble or wander, for, for any stumbling believer that repents and turns, returns to our Father in heaven, he will be overjoyed. What a comfort to know that. Isn't it interesting that God has even greater joy for the one that came back than, than all the others that stayed put? Which, this parable is not in any way to diminish God's love for the 99 that are carefully obeying. But there is something very special about the one that's wandered and is brought back. In the next verse, Jesus says, In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. The word perish, as it's used in this verse, it does not refer to total destruction or loss. So the people of God, Christians who have truly established Jesus as their Lord and have determined to follow him, they're they're never at risk of permanent total destruction. But we Christians can wander. We can stumble. We can, we can sin so much that we render ourselves as unuseful to the church. We can slow or even stop our spiritual progress in, this spiritual, in, in, our, in the Christian life. So this verse indicates that God our Father does not want a single one of us to be spiritually wounded or marred, even for a brief time. So, like the shepherd who searches for the lost sheep until it's found, God will see to it that everyone will eventually be brought back into his fellowship with his family and his kingdom, those that have truly committed to following him. What that means is no one is too far gone. It means that no one is out of God's reach. We do all this ranking, assigning value, and categorizing people, and yet no one is outside of God's incredible, gracious reach. Is there any heart that has wandered too far away? Is there any sin or stumbling or wandering that puts us outside of his reach? No. This gives us a brand new lens to view people with. I mean, if, if this is true, I mean, is, can, can you believe this? That no one can go too far out? None of God's children are too far gone? You might be asking, what, what about people that do unthinkably wrong things? There may be people that sin against us who do awful things. And it's even possible for Christians or for people who call themselves Christians to do this kind of wrong at an extreme level. Certainly, there, <clears throat> there are times that call for us to respond with wisdom in difficult times like that. And the Bible has a lot of instruction about how to handle and how to respond to brothers and sisters that do wrong to us. In fact, some of those instructions appear right after this parable. But it's the attitude of our hearts that Jesus is driving after when he says, See 
that you do not despise them. And the focus of this parable is on the humility required of the 99 as they look on those who do wrong. No one is so far gone that they are outside of God's reach. He is able to recapture his wandering sheep in the timing and the manner of his choosing. After hearing this parable, the disciples are facing the reality that they're at risk of being more concerned with their own position than with the needs of the people around them. Remember, their original question was, who's, who's greatest in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven? And the answer is, those who are great are humble and view others the way that our Father sees them. It takes a lot of humility to move past the place of despising and to get to compassion. It takes a lot of humility to see the value in another person and to, and to support the shepherd going to find the lost sheep. It's possible that the disciples were more concerned with their own reputation than with the needs of the people around them. Instead of living with the mentality, us for them, they might have had an us for us mentality. And whenever we fall into this, we're at risk of being unforgiving. We're at risk of blowing right past the step of compassion for those that stumble in sin. Years ago, I was assigned to serve on a jury for a criminal case. And early in the jury process, I was, you know, I identified myself as a pastor. And so later in the week, one of the other jurors came up to me at a break and he says, he's like, I've got a question for you. He was a big, burly railroad worker. And so knowing I'm a pastor, he said, hey, I've, I've got no problem with God. I've got a problem with religion. I've been to all kinds of churches all over the years and every time, because of who I am, people are always telling me to get out. <laughs> and I thought, are we about to throw down here? <laughs> is it going to get hairy? I don't know where this is going. And uh, instead of getting into a fight, though, I said, you know what? <laughs> I I'd love to hear more. And actually, we, we got lunch on our jury break that day. And um, I asked him about his life and what he, was, what he meant. And we, he talked through some of the difficult things in life that he walked through and challenges and and after hearing a bit, I, I said, you know, with God, there's a lot of grace, a lot of mercy for the things that you've walked through. And I told him about this parable, actually, I, about God's happiness to go and, and find the wandering sheep that have gone astray, and that God can and will recapture those of us who wander from him. And he replied, he's like, yeah, but then you'd have to come back to the 99. Guess he still had a problem with organized religion. And I thought, you know what? I, I don't know. I don't know what your experiences were or how you were treated or what you've been into exactly. There's probably lots I don't know. But I did wonder, what if, what if there was a permanent line that someone could cross, like a, a no return line, a way for someone to become truly unreachable, to get in a jam so bad or to make such awful decisions or to wander so far that they really are too far gone. What would those people experience from the church? What would those experience, what would they experience from us, from the 99? The response that we must say again and again is that no one is too far gone. No one's outside of God's rescuing reach. What that means for us is that 
it's unthinkably wrong to despise or to look down on someone that God so highly prizes. God prizes each of his children, even if we struggle to see the value in them ourselves. And then something dawned on me. God came after me. I have been the wandering sheep. How many times have I required God's rescue? I've, I've chosen to sin. How many times have I intentionally wandered away from his commands or from what he says? There's, there's so many places to get trapped or ensnared. I know what it's like to be trapped in discouragement, to get caught in addictive sin. I know what it's like to struggle to see the way forward to light and goodness, to battle my flesh and my destructive desires, and, and to even give in to them. So many times God came after me, and so often I was, I've been helpless to pull myself out. But God does it. He's the one that takes the initiative to do that. And I love verse 13. And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. That brings me a lot of encouragement to know how joyful God is to bring me back. So understanding this parable of Jesus about the wandering sheep, it can really have a big impact on the way that we see people. He says, make sure that you don't despise them. So instead, here are some ways that we can respond to others with humility. One way to respond is to choose compassion over anger. Now, we feel real natural. It, you know, getting angry, is, it comes easy to people who sin or stumble or wander, especially when that's impacting us in a negative way. But did you know that feeling compassion, even sadness for someone, is a choice? <laughs> we, we, most people assume that emotions are something that we don't have any control over it. But actually, we can choose which emotions are allowed to get expressed. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church of, a whole church of people that had gotten into sin. And he told them that, For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. You can feel a, like a sense of the level of sadness that he felt and expressed on behalf of those caught in sin. Paul could have despised them, but he didn't. When we interact with people, you know, we, we may have anger, which comes from the thought, hey, this is affecting me, and their, in, their choices impact my life. But compassion comes from the thought, I, I am distressed about their situation and their sin and the damage they're experiencing. And also, I remember that I could easily be there too if it weren't for God's grace. Choosing compassion helps us to avoid hardness of heart. This is something that we must constantly watch out for. Compassion allows us to battle pride when we're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm better than that. It's, e it's really easy for us to forget the number of times that God came after us. Another way to respond with humility is to pray for them. We can pray for others. This gives us our Father's heart towards them. We can pray for God to bless people and for Him to rescue them from their wandering. We can even pray that this parable happens in their life. When you pray for somebody, you're actively working for their good. It's a way for, for us to move our heart in the right direction. It's hard to truly pray for somebody with a hard heart. 
many times one prayer is not enough. Sometimes we might still feel angry or frustrated or judgmental, and we might need to do this repetitively. And finally, one other way to respond is to serve them in kindness. We can serve them. Sometimes we get mad because man, people are not useful. But on the flip side, we can just choose to be useful <laughs> to them and to serve others. We can provide support for things they're dealing with, celebrate when the good things happen to them, and sit with them when the bad things strike. Not overboard or out of, out of balance or getting walked all over necessarily, but we can really do things reasonably in a way to, to help, to be a help and to serve, keep, keeping our hearts soft. It really may be a challenge figuring out how to work this into maybe one of your relationships. But you might consider circling one of those options, one of those responses, and think about well, who is that person that I need to apply that to this week. If you determine to do any of those things, choosing compassion or praying or serving, it will be very difficult. But could you imagine what would it be like if you were free from that anger and frustration that comes from just being wrapped up in what people are or are not doing right? What if you were free from looking down on people? Imagine being emotionally free, not burdened by bitterness or sour relationships. The more that we're able to pray for and to serve people, we can influence them for good. And you know, one, of the, one of the things you find out is that people don't care what you know until they know you care. <laughs> people don't care what you know until they know you care. It's really an incredible joy and is a blessing to influence people for good. But we can totally block our, our own ability to serve and lead people if, if they don't have the confidence that we genuinely care for them and demonstrate it with tangible examples. It's really easy to be driven by, what, what's good for me? What do I want? But in this message series, we're looking at ways to adopt the motto, us for them. We can make our lives about helping other people, our resources for the benefit of others, especially to help people find God, to find the Good Shepherd. And as a, as a whole church, we want this to be our attitude, us for them, not to despise or look down on others. And we're getting ready to make some big changes. We're going to be making a strategic move to a new location. We'll be going to Rio Norte Junior High School beginning in October. And the reason for that is a strategic spot that will allow us to reach more people that are currently living far from God, people that might even seem too far gone. And this move in October will require lots of work, lots of flexibility from many volunteers. Sports camp is another uh, big event coming up in a, uh, about a month or two. And we've got other events or opportunities to hand out flyers. Lots of ways to expend a lot of energy, which, you know, it would just be, it actually would be easier. We could do the easy thing, stay put and do what's easy. But as a church, one big reason that we exist is for people that aren't here yet. So today we looked at Jesus' words and how God our Father is tender toward people and joyful. We can join God in his happiness for people, especially when they repent and turn to him. No one's too far gone. No one's outside of his reach. So imagine being a part of the 99 who remain and you know, like a group of happy, rejoicing people who welcome others back from sin and wandering. God longs to be gracious to us, 
and we can experience the joy that comes from being like him. Let's pray together. Father, what a picture of your incredible love for us in this story. And Jesus, you spoke these words in such a memorable way, leaving the 99 to go after it, even just one. I thank you so much for your tender compassion towards us and the lengths that you go to rescue us. Help us to have an eye like you do towards other people. Uh, even when it's difficult or unjust or irksome. Lord, I pray that our hearts would remain soft towards others that, that know you and those that don't know you. And would you allow us, would you help us make this transition to a new location in October? Help us be prepared for that and help us to harness as much as the opportunity to bring the, the life-changing truth to many people. Draw them, draw their hearts, Lord, to our church and to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you next time.